The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Take your Bible and go with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. We're moving verse by verse through this wonderful book of the Bible and we are in verse 20 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. The Word of God says this, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray you receive it as such, and you may be seated. Well, it is Palm Sunday, and this is the day that marked the start of the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it is the beginning of what we call Passion Week. As Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, He was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, clarifying even more to the bystanders that He was indeed the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And this first Palm Sunday there in the first century was both a day of celebration, but it was also a day of great confusion because the crowd was shouting the right words. They were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So they were saying the right words, but they missed the true meaning of these very words. They could not see the cross. They could not see the suffering servant. They could not see Jesus' mission to come and to save His people from their sins. Church, they were not looking for their sin to be dealt with. They were looking for physical deliverance in this life. They wanted to be delivered mainly from the tyranny of Rome. And I tell you that because I believe in principle... This type of confusion within even the body of Christ is still happening today. One of the biggest misconceptions in the church is that droves of people still believe that Jesus came to give us a comfortable life here and now, especially when it comes to health and wealth. They would not deny our heavenly inheritance, but I believe there is an unhealthy focus, and hear me clearly, a false expectation of what 
Christians are promised in this life. And one of the main verses used to validate complete healing in the here and now is found right here in 1 Peter 2, 24, which reads, By His wounds we have been healed. This is a reference to Isaiah in chapter 53. And so there is a popular belief now that believers can claim this verse and then be guaranteed 100% physical healing in this life, dependent, of course, on your faith. Because, and the logic is this, we've already been healed by His stripes, by His wounds. So by faith, we latch on to these promises and that healing begins to manifest. Now, I want to say something from the depths of my heart. I have dear, dear friends, even at this church, who believe this doctrine, okay? And I'll be even more transparent with you. For many years, I subscribed to this teaching. And when I went to Bible college and when I took the denominational lens off and I looked at just the Bible as objectively as I could, I saw some errors and what I would consider mega errors in this doctrine To clarify what I'm talking about, I want to just quote a word of faith preacher. I'm not going to name him. I'm not here to bash anybody. But this this is online in one of his devotional blogs, and he writes this. He says, What came on Jesus was not just the whip stripping the flesh off his bare back, but your sickness and your diseases. Each time he was whipped, every form of sickness and disease, including arthritis, cancer, diabetes, and bird flu, and so on, came upon him. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He writes this, Today healing is your right. It's your right. Something. This is the teaching. You ought to demand it. It's your right. Because Jesus has paid the price for your healing. So... He writes, if the devil says you cannot be healed, just declare Jesus has paid for my healing. Disease has no right to be in my body. I'm healed in Jesus' name. By the way, we're called in Scripture to flee from the devil, uh, or to to resist, excuse me, the devil, and he'll flee from us. And uh, I don't know that that includes having a conversation with him, but I'll just leave that there. He writes this, every curse of sickness that was supposed to fall on you fell on Jesus instead. Now watch this. He bore every one of those stripes. This is, he's referring to the verses that we're talking about here. And here's the reasons he said Jesus went to the cross for you. He bore every one of those stripes so that you can walk in divine health all the days of your life. The price has been paid so that you can rise up and get out of your bed of affliction. Now, I don't believe that in that way, all right? If you believe that, don't walk out on me. Hear me out and you go search the scriptures for yourself. To be sure, I believe in divine healing. We still believe in miracles in this church. I have been a a recipient two times in my life of divine healing. Once when I was an infant and they were wondering if I would ever be able to leave the hospital as a healthy child. And before I could muster up any faith, before I can even say the word faith, the Lord, out of His sovereign goodness and grace for some purpose, healed my body. Another time, 
around 10 years ago. I was diagnosed with a disease that there was no cure for. And the doctor was baffled about a month later when it was completely gone. You're looking at a preacher who believes in divine healing and appreciates that doctrine. But those things did not come by, because of the demands of my faith. I didn't tell God, you're going to do this for me because it's my right. I don't remember talking to the devil either and telling him he had to do whatever so I could be healed. I don't believe that that's the reason it came. It came because of God's sovereign choice and His good pleasures and purposes. How many know God is sovereign, not us? He is on the throne, not us. So let me just clarify my position here and then I'm going to unpack it. I do not believe that this verse nor any verse in the Bible when read in context promises complete healing on this earth. I have been accused because of this position of being too Baptist, which, by the way, is not a put-down to me, just so you know. But this is not a Baptist position. Actually, it's an Assemblies of God position as well. I've met with our district superintendent, and I've also um, read um, position papers or, or just sermons from our um, former national super, general superintendent, George Wood. This is actually... Christian orthodoxy, all right? This has been believed, uh, my position is, is, has been believed by, by Christians for centuries, all right? So I want to answer four questions this morning very quickly. Number one, what does this verse mean? What does it mean? By His wounds we have been healed, or we are healed. Number two, is physical healing part of the atonement? Number three, should we pray for physical healing? And number four, why does this doctrine matter? You ready? Come on, look a little more excited this morning. So number one, what does this verse mean? What kind of healing does Peter have in mind? Let's consider the context. Novel idea, right? Peter is writing, remember, to Christians who live in this pagan uh, Roman province... They're, they're living amongst people who are really, really far from God. And Peter is calling them to live in a way where by their conduct, the people all around them are pointed to Jesus. They are to be a light unto a dark world. How many know that's our call today? By the way we treat other people who even mistreat us, by our actions we are to be a light to a broken world. As we talked about a few weeks ago, we see in the verses leading up to our text today that one of the ways in which we are called to glorify God through our conduct is by enduring unjust suffering. Suffering that we do not deserve. And most people in that instance would retaliate. They would buck the people who are in authority over them. But we are called to endure this for the sake of the gospel. And then in verse 21... We see that Christ is our example for this type of suffering. Jesus is not asking us to do something that he himself was not willing to do. Look at verse 21 in 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
Jesus was our example in suffering. Now, our text today tells us how and why Jesus suffered for us. All right? Look at verse 22. He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but, threaten, but continued tr- entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted, yet without sin. And consequently, he did not deserve the wages of sin, which is death. Yet, how many know he died a sinner's death? And then we move to verse 24. That's the setup. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Do you see the progression here? Do you see where Peter is going? Remember this. Jesus is our example. We just learned this. We are to emulate him. We cannot, to be sure, die for people's sin, but we're to be willing to suffer for the good of other people and for the glory of God. All right? But some people, so Jesus is our example. Some people believe that's all that Jesus is, that he is just our example. But church, he is so much more than that. In other words, there are those who think that the essence of why Jesus came is just to show us how to please God, how to live godly lives. The problem with that thought is, is that if that's all he came to do, we would know how to walk in ways that are pleasing to God, but we could never have the power to carry it out because we still have this gaping chasm between us and the Father because of our own sin. So here's what Peter's saying, friends. He came to be more than our example. Did you get that? He's not, he is an example to us, but he's more than that. Friends, he became our perfect substitute. Don't just sit there. He became our substitute. Maybe you don't understand what that means. Let me unpack it for you. He bore our sin. God's justice, God the Father, His justice had to be satisfied for our sins. He could not just turn a blind eye to sin and say, well, you know what, I'm just going to let this one go. No, He is a just God. In order for us to be forgiven and to be reconciled to Him, that penalty had to be paid. And in His death, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and he appeased the very wrath of God. This is why he says, Lord, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? This is what it means in 1 John when it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That means he appeased God's wrath on our behalf. He atoned for our sin, beloved. There is no Better news that exists in the universe. Now this leads to the question, why did he do this for us? Well, there's a couple reasons here in the text. Number one, he died for us, took our penalty to reconcile us to the Father. This is implied in this text, but it's more explicit in the next chapter. This is chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins 
the, unri- the righteous for the unrighteous. Watch this. That he might bring us to God. If you have a relationship with God right now, that was only made possible because of what Jesus did for you at Calvary. Christ's sacrifice appeased God's wrath, made the way for us to be reconciled to Him. Apart from Jesus bearing our sin, there would still be a chasm between us and God. There's a second reason He died that's here in the text. It's to give us a new nature that we might glorify God. Look at verse 24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So here's what Peter is saying. Not only does Christ's death change our position with God, in other words, not only do we move from unrighteousness to righteous, from unrighteous to righteous, it doesn't just change our position, friends. It also changes our nature. We are no longer under the bondage of sin. We still struggle, don't we? Anybody struggle this week? Yes, we still struggle, but we are born again and sin's ultimate attraction has been broken in our lives and we're able now to live in a way that is pleasing to Almighty God. So we're given a new position in God and then we're given, as we're born again, we're given this great new nature so that we can please Him, that we can serve Him. It's incredible. And then we move on to this verse. By his wounds you have been healed. What kind of healing is Peter talking about? Do you see anything about sickness in here? No, he's saying you receive healing for your deepest issue. I have news for you. Your headaches are not your deepest problem. Watch this. Cancer is not even our deepest problem. You know what our deepest issue is? It's the issue of sin. And Jesus came to take care of the root of all issues. Hallelujah. Verse 25. That was, we read the before context. Let's just make sure that Peter's not going to change his mind what he's talking about here. Let's look at 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So here it is again. We were lost, living for ourselves as rebels, far from God, under His wrath, like sheep without a shepherd. This is a a great uh, analogy here because sheep are really, really dumb animals, right? And he says, you are like sheep without a shepherd, meaning you're just roaming around, not knowing where you're going, unable to take care of yourself, unable to protect yourself from the dangers that are in the world, but Christ, through, by bearing our sin, by healing us through His wounds, has brought us back into the fold. He is our good shepherd. We're now part of the family of God. This is tremendous news. So it's clear that Peter does not have in mind here physical healing. And that's not the main, and hear me emphasize, that's not the main context of Isaiah 53 either. Isaiah 53, let me read it to you. Just listen. Surely, verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him 
uh, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. That is your sin. He was crushed, why? For your iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This is transgressions, iniquity. Those are the wounds that are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, here it is again, the iniquity of us all. So Peter makes it crystal clear what this means. We have been reconciled to God by the wounds of Christ. And friends, I'm going to say it again until you smile. There's no greater news that exists in the universe. Question number two. Is physical healing part of the atonement? I'm going to put you on the spot. All right? You don't have to answer, but how many believe that physical healing is part of the atonement? Shake your head at me if you, if you believe that. Sure, i got my work cut out for me. <laughs> I would answer this question with a resounding yes. Yes, it's part of the atonement. And Matthew 8 makes this connection for us. To Isaiah 53. In this chapter, I don't have time to read everything here, but let me just tell you what's happening in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus has just cleansed a leper. He has healed a Roman satyrian. He has healed Peter's mother-in-law. He has cast out demons, and he has healed multitudes of people. I mean, this is getting a lot of recognition. I mean, this is incredible. Now, that would be a big deal if he did that in Richmond, Kentucky. But if he were to do that in the first century Palestine, friends, this was remarkable. Because they did not have modern medicine. And people would die from what we would call like simple illnesses, like just small ailments. They would die from these things. It was nothing in that day to die when you were in your 20s. Like you were an old man if you made it to 30. It just, diseases just plague, and Jesus comes in, and he just heals multitudes of people, and for all intents and purposes, he rids Palestine of disease. And this is just unreal. And then Matthew points out, after talking about all of this, here's what he says. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You see the connection? Why would Matthew make this connection? Why would Jesus do all this and allow that connection to be made to Isaiah 53? I think there's two reasons at least. Number one, understand this. Jesus has not been to the cross yet. I think number one, he is showing that he is indeed the Messiah. That he has authority. Listen, Jesus has just preached the greatest sermon that's ever been preached in the history of the world. I mean, it's incredible. It's called, maybe you've heard of it, the Sermon on the Mount. You heard of that? Yeah, if you haven't, go home and read it. It starts in Matthew chapter 5. It's amazing. And he's, he's just messing up people's understandings, uh, understanding of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. He says things like this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like, we've never heard this before. We're supposed to be strong, right? 
Then they say, well, blessed are the meek. What do you mean blessed are the meek? We're supposed to be confident, in, right? And so Jesus is kind of, he's messing up people's theology. And they're thinking, they're looking at Jesus. Who gives you the right to say these things? Who gives you the right? By what authority are you preaching these things? And Jesus is showing with all of these miracles, I am who I say I am. This is really clear. It's crystal clear in the next chapter of Matthew, chapter 9. There's a story of a paralytic man there who is brought to Jesus. And he just looks at the man who's lying there unable to move. And he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes are outraged at Jesus. They call him a blasphemer. Who are you to forgive sins? And here's Jesus' response. This is chapter 9 in Matthew, verse 5. For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But, watch this, don't miss this, listen closely. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority. There's the reason he's doing, he's going to do what he's about to do. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and he went home. So Jesus is showing his authority. And through the many healings that he does, the point is not to promise physical healing for every single Christian on this earth. It's to show his authority as he goes about his earthly ministry. Now there's a second reason here that I believe Jesus heals and connects this to Isaiah 53. He is showing that physical healing is wonderfully, hear me, wonderfully part of the atonement. Because, don't miss this, all sickness is a result of sin. Now, don't tune me out there, please. That does not mean that every time you get sick that it is a direct result of something you did. Here's what I'm saying. Before sin entered the world, friends, there was no sickness. Sin is here as a result, or sickness is here as a result of sin. It's part of the fallen nature of the world. And watch this. Sickness will not completely leave the world until sin completely leaves the world. These healings are a foretaste of the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. And that kingdom will not fully come until Jesus returns. Revelation 21 and verse 4, talking about the new heavens and new earth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, watch this, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Oh, that's a promise, isn't it? If you've lost somebody due to illness or if you've been really ill, you can long for a day when that will never be again. But that's not promised to us on this earth. It's promised in the kingdom to come. That's why the epistles, when you read them through the New Testament, the, the writers are always encouraging the believers to look to the life ahead of us, to look up to the mark of the high calling, to our eternity, to our future salvation. And so much of Christian preaching today, especially on television, is about our life here and now. One of the, one of the most top-selling books is Your Best Life Now. The only way this is your best life now is if you're not a Christian. 
just, just not the focus of the New Testament. I'm not saying Jesus wants us to be poor and sick all the time. Don't misunderstand me. But the essence of our preaching is not to get people just happy in this life. It's to prepare us for the life to come. Now, this is interesting. We're, we're saying healing is part of the atonement, right? Physical healing is part of the atonement. We agree. Agreement? Those who preach that Christians then should never be sick should also preach that Christians should not die and that Christians should not sin. That's all covered in the atonement. Let me ask you, is death covered in the atonement? Absolutely. But the last time I checked, Christians still die. Every one of us should the Lord tarry. But watch this. In the new heavens and the new earth, in our future salvation, death shall be no more. Hallelujah. Let me ask you this. Is sin covered in the atonement? Was your sin dealt with at the cross? I hope so. Let me ask you. Christian, do you still sin from time to time? (laughs) I see you like spouses pointing out their husbands like, he does. Yes, we still have this struggle. We're no longer under the bondage of sin. We get a foretaste of what's to come. But in the end, sin will be completely eradicated. In the life to come, listen, there won't even be a struggle with sin. It's incredible. Friends, it's the same with disease. We still live in a fallen world and sickness and disease is part of the fallen world. When God, by His mercy, and He does this, decides to heal us in this life of some ailment, that is simply a foretaste of the kingdom to come. Don't misuse scriptures here. When you see God heal one person, don't say, well, God's no respecter of persons. I hear this on, uh, I used to hear it on TV all the time by these preachers. If God healed this person, he has to heal you. He doesn't have to do anything. He's God. And that's not what that verse means. It's not about your healing. Look at the context. This is clearly the way the the apostles thought about sickness in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul, the great apostle, I would say a man of pretty great faith, leaves a man by the name of Trophimus behind on one of his missionary journeys due to illness. And he just kind of says this nonchalantly. He doesn't condemn him because he's ill, like, oh, ye of little faith. He just, just says it. 2 Timothy 5.23, this one really gets me. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy is his apprentice. He tells him, take a little wine for his stomach issues. He says to him, take a little wine for your stomach issues. And watch this, and your frequent ailments. This is the man being raised up to carry on the work that Paul's doing. Notice what Paul doesn't say. You know what, Timothy? Just think on it. Just speak it. And it's going to be yours by faith. He didn't say that. He says, medicate. Take medicine. That's what we should do when we're sick. That's not, medicine's not a bad thing. It's a gift from God. Paul has his own thorn in the flesh, this great apostle. You can read about it. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's something that really bothered him. I mean, you think of this example. I mean, he he uses these words, a thorn in the flesh. If you've ever dealt with a a bush with thorns on it or something, you've just been 
pricked or something by it? Like that can be painful. Paul has a continual thorn in the flesh, whatever it is. And he prays several times to be healed of this. And God says no, because God's purposes are higher than Paul's. Epaphroditus, one more example, was extremely ill. As a matter of fact, Epaphroditus sounds like an illness. I think we should name something after him. The point is this. Sickness is a part of this life. And I, I don't love that part of life, but it is. And God has mercifully given us doctors and medicines to prolong life. And at times, through direct intervention, through miracles, we still believe this way. He does heal us. But that doesn't mean we'll never get sick again. You need to come Wednesday and you're going to hear a story of, of incredible testimony of healing. It's incredible. Let me just clarify with this verse of, of what I'm talking. This is the paradigm that we live in, the already but not yet world. 1 John 3, 2, he says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. How many are God's children now? You have a relationship with Jesus. All right. What we will be has not yet appeared. Think about that. You're God's children now, but what you will be, it's not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Anybody looking forward to that day? We belong to God now, but do not miss this. We don't know the fullness of the kingdom yet. Our relationship with God, our peace, everything that we have is just a foretaste. Oh, friends, it's going to get so much better. We are physically healed by His wounds. And that is a benefit, a wonderful benefit, of being healed spiritually. And we get a foretaste of this now, but the complete manifestation of healing is a glorious future reality. Which brings me to my next question. Should we then pray for healing? The book of 3 John says so. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. And it goes well with your soul. So if you come to me for prayer, I'm not going to pray, Lord, put a disease on him. All right, I'll just tell you, you you're safe. I'm going to pray for healing and health in your, in your life. We should pray like this, and we should pray with great faith. As I think about what, this, what true faith really looks like, I'm, I'm driven back to the book of Daniel, a very familiar story, maybe you've heard it, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story? They're about to be cast into a fiery furnace for their refusal to bow down and worship a golden image. And before they're thrown in, here's their attitude. This is taken out of Daniel. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Oh, that's faith, isn't it? He is able. How many believe God is able? Amen. And watch this. This is faith. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. You think you're king, you're not. God is king. But then watch in verse 18. See, we're told by the prosperity preachers we can never use the word but or the word if because that's a lack of faith. Well, these men of great faith used it here. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we'll not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Friends, that is true faith. When we pray for the sick or when we're sick, we go to God in prayer and we believe that He is able. 
That he still works miracles. And we believe that he is willing. But ultimately, we believe that his ways are higher than our ways and our thoughts higher than our thoughts. It's what Jesus prayed in the garden. Lord, if there be any, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, yours be done. Oh, we could emulate Jesus in that. It's not this idea of me taking some verse out of context and demanding God that my healing come. No, it's Lord, I believe you can do it. I believe you will. You're a, a gracious God. But even if you don't, I trust you. And I know that healing's mine in the life to come. That's true faith. And this is how we approach God. And I'll close by answering this final question. Why does this matter? Can you tell I'm a little passionate about this this morning? It's because it's personal to me. I told you a little bit earlier that I was kind of pulled into this. Be, be careful who you listen to. I was just reminded by somebody as, as we were worshiping that was also at first service who told me, uh, Pastor, the, uh, the devil used Scripture. The devil used Scripture. He misused it. Everything preacher that you hear using scripture does not mean that it's truth scriptures are way taken out of context and listen look at me i'm not infallible i'm sure that i've missed the mark but i try my best to go and say lord what is your word teaching so i'm brand new in the ministry had not been to bible college yet this is 20 years ago and i'm brought on at this church mount zion christian church in winchester and I was doing worship. All I wanted to do was sing for Jesus my entire life. I was, I was happy with that. But then our youth pastor left and there was a vacancy. And I thought, oh, that doesn't seem too hard. These, these kids look cool. They were crazy. I didn't know that at the time. So I just step in like, oh, yeah, that qualifies me. I'm willing. Let's just walk in. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I grew up in church and knew the, the stories. But I didn't, I didn't know anything. So what I do, I, I turned on TBN. Somebody say, uh-oh. Right? <laughs> I turn on and I, and I watch these TV preachers, and I went to church with some of my friends at this uh, another church um, who, who preached what we call the prosperity gospel. And I was told that, and by using scripture, that hey, anybody who has enough faith is guaranteed healing on this in, in this world, and they're guaranteed wealth as well. If you just sow your seed, if you'll just pay this, you're guaranteed to be rich. That only works in the Western world, by the way. That message isn't working too well in Africa, in places like that. Preachers are selling this over there. They're taking their offerings and then selling them this and they're leaving them jaded and disillusioned. See why this is a little bit of a big deal to me? So I'm at, I'm at Mount Zion Christian Church and I have the youth groups growing and I think, man, I must be doing something right. We went from like five kids to like 30 kids and I'm like, so that doesn't validate ministry, by the way, size. I need to remind myself of that, right? <laughs> like just because you see a ministry that has 10,000 people doesn't validate it. Just understand that. All right? And a small church doesn't validate ministry either. All right? So I'm there, and I, I'm just preaching what I'm, t I'm, I'm told. And I have a young girl in my, my youth group. It was 20 years ago. I don't, can't remember her name, but I remember her, remember her dad's name. It was Gene. And I remember him because he rode a motorcycle, and I loved motorcycles at the time. He had a ponytail. He's a cool guy. And listen, he got radically saved. And then he found out he had cancer. It was, he was eaten up with cancer. And so I'm telling this youth group that hey anybody who has enough faith will be healed in this life he got his arm amputated because he wasn't healed 
But I kept believing it. A month later, I'm in a funeral home with Jean behind me in a casket. And I've been asked to sing Amazing Grace. And tears are streaming from my face. Confusion is all over my mind because I did what the prosperity people said. It didn't work. And now I've got a family disillusioned and jaded and wondering, is God even real? You see why this is a big deal to me? And I pray by God's mercy. I left that church not too long after that, that he's brought, he's, he's helped them through this. And, and I pray he has mercy on me for unknowingly leading them in that. Let me just tell you why this is a big deal. When people get sick and the positive confession and the gimmicks don't work, they are beside themselves and they don't know how to deal with it. And they may turn from God. They may be bitter towards Him. But not only that, hear me. When someone is severely ill and you give them what I believe to be this false doctrine, it puts such an unfair burden on them. Just imagine with me a young father who is dying. Say he's 45 years old. And let's say that he has two young, beautiful children and a, and a young, beautiful wife. And he's passing away. He's been diagnosed with, with cancer. And he's eaten up with it. And you go to him and you say to him, by Christ's wounds you've been healed. And if you have enough faith, it's guaranteed. And then it doesn't work. And in the last moments of his life, Perhaps, what's he thinking? I'm leaving my two children. I'm leaving my beautiful wife to, to have to somehow support these kids. And this is my fault because I don't have enough faith. God help us. Think about this. Faith healer Benny Hinn says this. Got it on video. It's as easy to get healed as it is to be saved. Now, if that's true, then you're in the end of your life and you're dying. And you've been taught that? Then how can you be sure? How can you have any hope that you're really saved? Friend, you can't. That teaching is not in the Bible. Healing is gloriously covered in the atonement. But it may not come in this earth. But it will come in the life to come. That father who I was just talking about if he was indeed in Christ, oh, he experienced healing more than we could ever know. So we should pray for the sick. We should. And we should stand together with them in faith. And we should believe God to heal them. But we should offer them hope that says this. Even if healing doesn't come right now on this earth. That's not a lack of faith. Oh, it's, it's so great of faith. It's a great measure of faith. Even if it doesn't come through on this earth, you can still trust God. I've asked people who believe this. I, I, I'm done playing. And I just asked him, I've got a son who has autism. And I said, is it my fault or his that he's still autistic? Tell me. Which one, whose faith is it? I, I want to know, is it my fault? 
I hope this is righteous indignation that's in me right now. But I, guys, the Bible says in the last days, people are going to search out. They're going to have itching ears and they're going to find preachers who preach just what they want to hear. That's what we see all across, especially, well, really all across the world today. Amen. Health and wealth, that's what everybody wants. And again, I'm not saying that Jesus wants to be poor and miserable. No, I'm not preaching that. I'm saying that Christ is enough. He, he dealt, His atonement was to deal with the greatest problem in your life, the problem of sin. And you need to cling to that. And because of that, uh, that promise, you can, uh, in, in that work on the cross, you can know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and thus be reconciled to God the Father. You don't have to be under His wrath. You can have peace with Him. And when you do, no matter what life deals you, you can have peace through it all. I've watched my cousin, oh, my cousin who, who's a wonderful, wonderful woman of faith. She's in her 40s. She's struck with breast cancer. She's had both breasts removed, and I've watched her. I've watched her make Christ look glorious, not because God's healed her. She had to go through all of these horrible surgeries, but because through it all, Christ was enough for her. Friends, that is faith. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.